Biomechanics and bottom fillers. Moisturize your conical stump. Hit the nail on the head with your hammer toe. And, oh my, what a lovely pair of heel breasts you have, Grandma. The better to talk told to you with, my dear. Welcome back! I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are the prehensile tale that is the feckless moans. And this, my little Q-tips, is Talk Tull to Me. An orthopedic fitting session in the prosthesis lab of Prog Rock, in which negative pressure Nick and orthosis Omen will measure, mold, and perform complicated myoplasty procedures on each and every track that residual limb rock band Jethro Tull have ever fashioned out of wood and ivory. We will work tirelessly to evaluate the Peter John Battesi volume loss, pensively predict the David Pegg pistoning, and beautify the blessings of the Martin Barr ball girth. And if we can traverse the musical median plane, traipse across the percussive pens plantus, and bear the phantom pain of plucked instruments, we may one day have our musical scoliosis straightened by the shock-absorbent Scotsman, the transfemoral troubadour, the wrist unit who knows how to tune it, <laughs> Ian Ankle Stabilizer Anderson. Wow. Very good. All work references? All... What are we going for with that? Prosthetics. Prosthetics? Prosthetic ears of tin? Is that what... There you go. You got it. Okay. You signaled my train of thought before moments before it collided. I flagged it down, pulled it over, yeah. hitched a ride, and then we crashed. Nick, uh, speaking of crashing, welcome back to the podcast. Here we are to talk about another song by Jethro Tull. If you haven't figured it out by now, that's what we're doing. That's what we do. We are on track three from Rock Island. We're halfway through side one, and uh, yeah, we are on Ears of Tin. I don't have anything to discuss, nothing to tidy up beforehand, but we will have, uh, we'll have a little correspondencies in the middle, some notes on the back end. Omen likes the notes on the back end is what I know. <laughs> That's the only place I've ever gotten notes. That's it. That's it. But now, yeah, I mean, we might as well jump in, right? I mean, we've got a, ourselves a five-minute song ahead of us. Nick, there we have Mainland Blues by Jethro Tull. It should be called that, right? Shouldn't it? It could be called yeah. that, I think. It works that way. And honestly, if someone were to, to say that to me, I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. I know that song. It's funny hearing, especially with all the bonus tracks that we've been listening to, mm -hmm. hearing how at various points, either Martin or, or Ian or, or somebody has said, well, we were going to call it this, but then yeah. 
it had this in the song, so we just called it that. It's like kind of arbitrary sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the whatever the hook is, where it's like, well, that's what we ended up saying. I wrote the song under this name, but this hook seemed much catchier. And I guess it's just more aesthetically appealing to have like the hook be the name. You know, it's much more memorable, I guess. That speaks to the creative process as well. Often you'll start writing something, you'll write a play or a novel. And then at a certain point, you'll you realize, oh, shit, I have to call it something. Like, it has to, has a, it has to have a title. Yeah. I've been in situations where I was like, I would rather just not call it anything. Yeah. Untitled work, number 37. Untitled work. That worked for Bach. Look at where that got him. Yeah, he's dead. He's dead now. So, Nick, let's talk about the musical aspects of Ears of Tin. So many musical aspects to discuss. So many. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. PJV in here. One of the few tracks that he is on, on our little synthtastic experience that we've got going on here. Did you detect him in the beginning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The very airy light. It takes me back to never-ending story almost. Oh. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Like a very airy pipe sound. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. That's cool. It very much reminds me of the soundtrack to Neverending Story. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Oh, sure do. I wrote these notes down before, but just this, was it Sunday? I think Sunday, Ray and I watched Neverending Story for the first time in like forever. We watched one and two nice. back to back. Uh, one is... Excellent. Still holds up. Two is dog shit. Don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> As so often happens with sequels. Yeah. Every now and then you get a good one. But So yeah, we have PJV, well noted. I totally missed that. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, we have a wonderful exchange between Mr. David Pegg and Ian on the flute. We have mm. bass, flute, bass, flute, bass, flute, bass, flute, bum... It's a wonderful kind of back and forth, which actually sets up a musical theme of this piece, which I feel is present, which is this kind of juxtaposition of the the sweetness of the highlands and the sweetness of the island versus the angsty industrialism of the mainland. Yeah. The grunginess, the sacrifice to leave that departure is is that much more palpable when you, you feel such a brightness and lightness for one and the darkness of the other. It's interesting. I'm into this song. It's really good. It's a good one. We are in Jethro Tull's mandolin era in a new way. I mean, we've had mandolin for years, for decades, but I feel like David Pegg in particular is bringing his mandolin skills to this album in a way that's really fun and refreshing and and kind of is a reminder or provides us a route to the folk background. But it's it's like a modern sound, though. You know, it's mm-hmm. not the folk trilogy, Mando. But there's something so new about it. 
And arguably, this is better mandolin playing than we had back in that folk era. It's great. It's really, really good. The tremolo, it's still very sweet and sweeping. It's very good work. Yes. In the last hours. It's kind of in the background for the bulk of it, but around 3.30, we we really get into, I, I think it steps forward more prominently there. 3.30 is also where we get another hint of PJV. Mm, yeah, yeah, there is, there's a definitive, I'm looking at the waveform now and it's like brick wall and then it stops and then we've got like a little nice little, uh, little wave here and there and then we get another brick wall. So it's clearly like a, a bridge area. And this whole song keeps jackknifing us back and forth between this theme of and then the yeah it's so fun i love oh gosh i love the juxtaposition of this song it's tender and taut it's great it really encompasses the idea the sonic idea of this. And I mean, you could even think about it sonically being on the island. It's nice. And you hear the breeze through the trees and then you Calm. get on the, the diesel ferry and you hear that, that chugging and the engine yeah. ripping, you know, that's the prelude to the hustle and bustle, mm-hmm. the bustle, the bustles, hustling those bustles. Got somebody's got to hustle them. Yeah. At 2.20, we have some extremely passionate tambourine playing, no doubt by Mr. Ian Anderson. He got carpal tunnel from that tambourine playing. It's very (laughs) vigorous. So few people can play the tambourine with so much angst. With so much rage and anger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, when I play the tambourine, it sounds like, no, somebody's shaking a thing. Yeah. Some people make it sound like, oh, that's a joyful expression of, of you know, excitement. Yeah. Ian has the darkest tambourine playing of anyone on the planet. Well, that's the heaviest instrument that he plays, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the heaviest metal instrument. A cast iron. A cast iron. <laughs> His forearm is massive. He looks like Popeye. <laughs> He's like one of the medieval archers where yeah. one arm is, is really small, the other is huge. Oh, my God. Speaking of heavy metal, though, I mean, I know we're a little bit beyond the, like, the Metallica era, but not that far, you know? I mean, sure. this this still has some heavy. It is leading into heavier sounds. I mean, we've got Catfish and Roots coming up. Oh, yeah. Which both have their fair share. Absolutely. I love being back in the timeline here because it allows us to, to have a cohesive sense of where we've been and where we're going. Yeah. I got to say... Roots and Rock Island were the ones that I knew the least. Oh uh, yeah. But after last episode, I was like, you know what? I really wanna I wanna listen to the rest. And I so I listened to the rest of this album a bunch on repeat. And then I was like, you know what, let's get into Roots. Boy, Roots is a good goddamn album. Yeah. So good. We're gonna talk about yeah, it. We'll, we'll get there. In eight to nine business months. We'll get there. There's a vocal thing that Ian does on the line, set my brain to cruise. Cruise! Oh, yeah, we're going to get more and more of that, too. Mm-hmm. We're going to get more of it, and I love it. Ooh. I love that sound. Yep. I associate that with Raising Steam. So Raising Steam was Crest, I believe, right? Oh, 
I, I associate it with rocks on the road. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a black cat down on the keyside. And that whole catfish sound. But I, I love it. It's something fun. It's a new fun thing that Ian is discovering as he's evolving. I love it. It's so much fun. It's so silly. Yeah, we're on, we're kind of on the the descent down from the throat issues where now he's starting to be like, okay, what do I have to work with and how am I going to really utilize it? So we're getting these kind of these spoken bits and the the gravelly and the the playing with it. And one could argue, but one doesn't have to. One could one just agree. Needn't. One could agree that <laughs> that when an artist has to work within limitations, they often end up being much more creative than when they have totally free reign. Look at all the painters, look at Van Gogh who went through all of his monochromatic phases. Yeah. That was a self-imposed limitation. Because he lost an ear, because he cut off his ear. He couldn't hear the rest of the colors. Exactly. He could only paint in blue. Mm -hmm. Look at Django Reinhardt, who had a terrible fire accident as a child, and so his left hand, he only really had three fingers. He had his thumb, he had two fused fingers, and then he had one more. I did not realize that about him. Oh, yeah. And that was part of the reason that he developed that style that was unique because he was operating with a different set of equipment than everybody else. Yeah. But he still wanted to play the guitar, so he did. He did. He played that guitar. Oh, did he? <laughs> Speaking of vocal stuff, at four minutes and 14 seconds, we have a... Uh. Another thing we'll get to, yeah. Vocal expression. At 310 is my favorite part. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now call it for me, Martin. Now call it for me, Martin. Yeah. Yeah. I re yeah. It's funny that we don't have more of that. I know. The in-band references, the in-the-moment, kind of breaking the fourth wall in a way, you know? And, you know, I imagine that there was so much more of that in concert. Yeah. I would like to think so anyway. What did I send you today? I sent you the video from the A tour. Yeah, it was Black Sunday. Black Sunday, oh my gosh, what a strange, strange... It was very weird. <laughs> you get the sense in that that there's a little bit more, because everyone is physically on the stage together, you watch Ian sort of like, ah, signal yeah. to kind of conduct the rest of the band. Yeah. He also, he gets low. He, he's in his squats when he's singing oh, yeah. and playing. He's got the hammies to back it up, for sure. He's got the widest stance of any rock singer in the 1970s. So we, we all watched it, Ray Rook and I did, and I think Ray mentioned, oh, she called it Goblin Pose. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. With how it started, Rook was very, like, had no idea what was going on, but by the, by the end, he's like, it started out weird, but it got rocking. <laughs> and it did. Mm. Accurate. An accurate assessment mm -hmm. from Master, Master Rook. As the song builds toward the end, we get more and more of stacking the vocals. Mm -hmm. Possibly a stack O three instead of our traditional stack O two. Yeah, yeah, it does sound multi layered for sure. And then right toward the end, right at four forty seven, we have a wonderful little PJV doo -doo -doo, kind of send off. Yeah, to me that feels like stuff where the trio recorded it, layered in everything that they wanted to add, and then there was a decision made of. You know, it feels like something's missing. Let's call our friend PJV. Yeah, can you work your magic on this? And him just adding those subtle things, which does bring the level of the, of the production up a bit. Yeah, it does. 
And at the very, very end, we get just a single flute, a lowing of the flute, just a... And it reminds me of something, I don't remember what song it was, but we heard it like an album or two ago where it ended in a couple of those. Yeah. Farm on the Freeway? Oh, it might be. I've got Farm on the Freeway right now. It is Farm on the Freeway. You got it. Four of them. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's kind of how I remembered it because I remember it leading into something else. Wow, interesting. Yeah, good memory on that. Very good. It's got to be good for something. (laughs) And it just so happens to be Jethro Tull trivia. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) specific, very specific (laughs) musical phrases. Oh, I explained the whole special guest Eddie Jobson to Raven while we were watching that video. <laughs> she was, she oh was. Oh my gosh, it's so vaguely funny. interested. I'll take it. Not much more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just other things to note musically. Martin kind of is using two different guitar sounds, whether it be a pedal or a different instrument. He starts out with a kind of a twangy sound that lays further back when we're more in that sweet part of the music. Got a job. And then he gets more what we expect from this era, the really super rocky electric overdrive sound. Yeah. Again, just wonderful to have that contrast. Throws a pedal on there or something to just dirty it up a little bit. And then there's fabulous work between Don Perry and David Pegg, creating this really thumpy kind of like... At various points in the more industrial section of this song. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Industrial rock. Yes. Angsty industrial rock. As angsty industrial as Jethro's Hull gets, I would say. I've heard angstier and more industrial, but not from Tull. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's up there. It's certainly up there. So, Nick, if we were... Obviously, we're going to talk about the lyrics here in a second, but if we were to put this song into one of our pre-made file folders, Mm. which file would you put it into? It's definitely a working man song. I think that's topmost category. Yep. But there's also like Homeland Pride. And there's also like, I think you could get away with saying that it's, there's a love aspect to it as well. Whether it's for a lady miss, or for the land itself. Which are, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could say this is an I Miss Shona song. Yeah. Yeah, having to go off and work the mill, whether it's riding a tour bus or going to work in a mill. Yeah. <laughs> for instance. <laughs> yeah, I think it contains elements of all those. I would put it in the, I dislike capitalism, but I participate in it out of necessity folder. Because I live in a capitalistic society, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that works. A couple of folders. Cross-referenced. Yes. Yeah. See capitalism. <laughs> oh, I do, Nick. Every day. I can't unsee it, <laughs> even in my dreams. 
I was telling one of my workmates about the dwarf pawpaws. How thrilling. And thank you. And I was they were and they were like, well, what's a pawpaw? And I was like, well, it's this amazing fruit that, you know, has traditionally been part of American society and Native American culture, but it doesn't ship well, it doesn't store well, and so it hasn't ever really been picked up by big chains. So it's sort of an anti-capitalist fruit, which is also how I identify. <laughs> <laughs> You also don't ship well, oddly enough. Yeah. I don't ship. I yeah. bruise. Bruise so easily. I arrive rotten. Nobody wants you. I get I get to the market and people are like, ew. <laughs> they don't even put you in the discount bin. They just chuck you. No, no, yeah. Nick, welcome to the halftime portion of our show. Uh, we normally do things here. So what are the things that we're going to do? We are going to do an email for a new writer-inner. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. That's right. We have ourselves a Floridian having written in from Tallahassee, Florida. Wow, I didn't know that anyone else in Florida could write. <laughs> this is from Buddy. Hey, Buddy. I am a recent devotee to your podcast and would give you 10 stars if I knew how. <laughs> I've been trying to catch up on listening to broadcasts, but alas, I just heard your opener on A Passion Play. What amazing memories it revived of a concert on April 24th, 1973 at the Miami Beach High Alive Fronten. I'd been a tullophile for several years since the release of Stand Up. I remember being drawn to the name of the band and the potential mixture of classical and rock. I bought Stand Up as a part of my initial subscription to the Columbia House Record Club, baby! Oh, yes. Eight records for $1.99. I'd experienced two previous Tull concerts featuring music from Benefit and Aqualung, and remember thinking I feel sorry for any band preceding or succeeding them on stage because there was nothing like them. Wow. However, wow. the Passion Play concert was far beyond anything before. The title song lasted 90 minutes, then Ian approached the mic and said, now for our second song, <laughs> which was a portion of Thick as a Brick. Easily the most spectacular concert I attended in my 40 years of going to concerts. Thank you for your devotion to this truly one-of-a-kind band. It is a shame they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thank you, Nick and Omen, for your thought-provoking words, mature vocabulary, humor, and perseverance. Buddy. Buddy, thank you so much. It's wonderful to have another Floridian listening to the podcast. I don't know what rate at what rate you were listening, but hopefully in the not-too-distant future, you'll find this little tidbit here waiting for you. Just great to have you and your experience, your direct experience with the heydays of Tull join our collective brain. Yes, it has now been assimilated. You, you have been, the resistance is futile. <laughs> Thanks for writing in. It's a pleasure to have you amongst us. So we also have not necessarily hate mail, but your standard old man yelling at the clouds, afraid of change on our YouTube on the Hammer on Hammer live reaction video. Very bad. Since Ian Anderson fired all members and formed the new Ian Anderson band, which never is Jethro Tull, his music is too far from it was in the past. 
Jethro Tull ended when he fired Martin Barr, D. Perry, and A. Giddings. For the fans that like the new guitarist, I say you don't know how to differentiate good and bad guitarists. M. Barr is irreplaceable. Well, I certainly agree that M. Barr is irreplaceable, and yet... He's been replaced. (laughs) He's been replaced. You know, I think... I was thinking about this. If we weren't doing this podcast, would I feel that the current iteration of Jethro Tull was really Jethro Tull? I don't know. I think that because of the process we've been through, because we're trying to view everything with some degree of... Remove and academic approach. Yes, subjectivity. Yes. I think that it is easier to accept, yeah, this is a continuation of Jethro Tull, whether or not it is the Jethro Tull that people knew. It reminds me of um, of an Alan Watts lecture. He was describing the, the non-continuality of self. And he said, if you take a rope that's five feet long and the first foot is made of silk and the second foot is made of cotton and the third foot is made of jupe and the th- third, whatever, it's made of different materials. Made of jupeson? It's made of jupeson. Okay. Who's very fibrous. <laughs> and you tie a knot at the end of it. The knot is composed of silk because it's in the first foot. But if you slide that knot up the rope, it's the same knot. Mm. But at a certain point, it will no longer be made of silk. It'll be made of cotton. And if you slide the knot up further, it's still the same knot. But then it's made of, of jupe. That's sort of how I think of it. It's the same. It's still Jethro Tull, but we've slid it up and the materials have changed. It's Theseus's ship, though, right? I mean, it's the same thing, right? You know, you just keep the figurehead and everything else is, has been replaced. Yeah, you don't replace Theseus. That's, that's the key. That's it, yeah. yeah. I understand people's resistance to change, and, and I respect the feeling that, you know, that the current iteration is not Tull. It's very different. Certainly, that's something that, that Martin Barr has said. We saw that interview, and I respect that opinion as well. But I think for us, we have concluded that for our purposes, at least, we are going to consider the current iteration tall. Right. We would have stopped at the Christmas album if that were the case. But we couldn't stop. But we couldn't. Can't stop, won't stop. There's a bomb on this podcast. <laughs> if we stop recording episodes, it'll go off. At 50 miles an hour. That's how, how quickly we record these. We record them fast. Yeah. Yes, everyone's entitled to their own tall opinion. Everybody has their own tall opinion, and we accept and embrace it. And, you know, you don't have to listen to the new stuff. That's all. You know, go back and listen to Passion Play. You do have to listen to the new stuff nude. The nude stuff. Yes, You You have have to to listen listen to the the old stuff stuff. nude. Then it's nude stuff. Everything old old is nude again. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, Omen. Second half. Let's talk lyrics. Let's flip this pancake. Ears of tin. Let's start with the title, Nick. Sure. What do you reckon it means to have an ear of tin? So apparently, parentheses. I did some research. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's apparently okay. it's a it's a turn of phrase that I I had not known. Yeah. It's an American turn of phrase, no less. Oh, really? Yeah. I, that's what I saw. Yeah. I think it's fairly kind of not necessarily antiquated, but it's certainly fallen out of usage at this point. Yeah. But it, it's basically. If you say someone has an ear of tin for something, they don't have a natural ability for it. They can't appreciate it or understand it. They're tone deaf in a certain sense. Right. 
often applied to music. Music or uh, politicians also, I saw reference oh, to politicians, oh, okay. yeah. And you could say that somebody has a tin ear. Right, yeah. My research on the subject pulled up that it used to mean someone who was deaf. It used to imply deafness. Oh. And then it evolved to mean somebody who, as you say, doesn't have the ability to appreciate something, whether it's music or a conversation or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of having, uh, having two left feet. Having a having a black thumb. Yes. What is a black thumb? You kill plants? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, you're you're a scrivener. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those. It's one of those kind of old timey phrases to it's just a colorful way of saying something about somebody. It possibly originates with the listening horn, which was a device. Oh, sure. It was basically a funnel Mm -hmm. that you would put up to your ear that would allow people who had hearing loss to hear a little bit better, probably not that much better. Right. And they could be made of tin. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, also when we, you know, sometimes if something has been poorly recorded or a speaker isn't very good, we say, you know, it sounds kind of tinny. That's true. So there's an implication of tin not being a very acoustically sound material. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wonder where that comes from, if, if that's part of that, something sounding tinny. Because I can... I don't know. I can imagine what something tinny sounds like. It's usually, there's no there's no bass under it. It's really just in the high registers. There's no... There's a lack of accuracy. Yeah. I think it comes from, it's just, it is not an acoustically conductive material. It's not like yeah. brass or bronze or steel, or silver. Or marshmallow. Or marshmallow. Yeah. So, with that out of the way, interesting. So we have this, the opening, we open in the Scottish Highlands on an island, an unnamed island, perhaps in the north of some country. Before we get into this, can I posit a theory that I know for a fact is incorrect? Oh, I can't wait. So, ears of tin... A tin is a British way of saying a can, right? Like, does what it, exactly what it says on the tin. It does exactly what it says on the tin. A tin can is something that you make a phone out of, and you can listen to the tin can phone. So this is all about tin can phones. Ears of tin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is it a play on a tin of ears, where you open up a tin, and instead of sardines, it's preserved ears that you eat. <laughs> That's terrifying. It's just sardine ears. They're so tiny. <laughs> All right. Some unknown island. Some unknown island in the north of some unknown country. Mm-hmm. In the last hours of a sunset rendezvous, chill breeze against the tide that carries me from you. Ugh. In the last hours of a sunset rendezvous, chill breeze. So lovely. We have already a nautical implication. Mm -hmm. The tide is carrying me away. You have to sail with the tide. This could already be the start to a thousand different songs. Yeah. It's not the leaving of Liverpool that grieves me, but my darling, when I think of you. Liverpool, New York? Yes, famously. (laughs) You know that song. Right. Uh, I may have heard it. I don't know it. So fare thee well, oh, okay. my own true love. So fare thee well, my own true love. When I return, united we will be. It's not till even of Liverpool that grieves me. When I die, when I sing, the 
Got a job in a southern city. Got some lead free in my tank. Now I must whisper goodbye. I'm bound for the mainland. I got a job in a southern city. Got some lead free in my tank. Now I must whisper goodbye. I'm bound for the mainland. So we have the mainland. That's how we know we're on an island. I must whisper goodbye. This reminds me of uh, a number of other songs where there's this theme of a pre-dawn departure. Yes. I leave my love a-sleeping. Yeah. I just want to point out lead-free. It's another metal, lead and tin. But also, this is a time where lead-free is something to note. Like, gasoline was still leaded at this time. Was it? Was it leaded in the 80s? Yeah, I, I don't really? think it was until the mid-80s when they were like, you know, that's probably something that we shouldn't be doing. You know I'm a big fan of Sting. Big fan of lead in all things. <laughs> I love the heavy metals. <laughs> I do know that you like Sting, correct? There's a song, I'm blanking on the name, I will look it up. He's describing working at a gas station, and he's like a redneck, know-nothing guy. And this fancy car pulls up. And the guy gets out in his cowboy boots and his Stetson hat and his rings. And he says, Fither up, son. Unleaded. Need a full tank of gas where I'm headed. And it's about the desire to go off and have this glorious, exciting life. But I, I'll never, I just, I always think of that. Unleaded. Sting singing that. And that song was probably from the 80s, I imagine. Right? It's from Brand New Day. Okay. Sixth solo album. Oh, 99. Crikey. Feller up, son. Unlettered. I need a full tank of gas where I'm headed. Anyway, great song, great album. Not what we're talking about today. Island in the city cut by a cold sea. People moving on an ocean. Groundswell of humanity. So here's one of my biggest questions about this song. Mm -hmm. What is the island in the city? I think once he leaves his home Uh and he goes into this harsh environment, he becomes the island. He is the, oh, he's the rock island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the natural piece in this industrial man-made. Ooh, I love it. That makes a lot of sense with the theming of the album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, great. And so the groundswell of humanity, that's the ocean of people. Yes. People moving on an ocean, but also right. the people are the ocean. The people are almost the flotsam of the ocean. Even if he's moving with the tide, he is still an independent piece. He sees himself as not a part of these people, even though this is his job. He could have been here forever. Well, maybe not forever because he got a job in the southern city kind of implies it's a, it's a newer thing. Right, right, right. But we know from his history that he spent time in London, obviously. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we're applying our historical knowledge to this song and imagining that this is a song about Ian Anderson, which is an assumption. Correct, yeah. I do think oftentimes he doth protest too much in saying, oh yeah, it's not about anyone, but it's like, I mean, come on, Ian, like really? You write what you know, you write from your experience, whether you intend to or not, on some level. Yeah. And that theme is very much 
a theme running throughout the work of Tull, whether or not it's a theme running through the life of Ian Anderson. Right, yeah. Now the sun breaks through rain as I climb Glenshell on the trail of those old cattlemen who drove their bargain south again. In the eyes of those five, five sisters of Kintail, there's a wink of seduction from the mainland. Now the sun breaks through rain As I climb Glenshill On the trail of those old cattlemen Who drove their bargain south again And in the eyes of those five Five sisters of Kintail There's a wink of seduction From the mainland these sound like geographical features, possibly either on an island. And where are they? Did you look them up? They are in the Northwest Highlands. Glenshiel is the glen that the river goes through, surrounded by sets of mountains. And the five sisters of the Kintail is a, is a set of five mountains. Glenshiel, not to be confused with Glenister Fermoy Shiel, CMG, born 21st of October 1929, died 29th of September 2008 who was an Australian politician representing the National Party in the Senate of the State of Queenlands from 1974 to 1981. And again, from 1984 to 1990, he was also an amateur tennis player who competed at the Australian Championships in the 1940s and the 1950s. I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, I know. We were confused that he would be climbing that Australian politician. (laughs) (laughs) As I'm sure many did. (laughs) So significantly, Glenshiel is very close to... Sky. If you were going to take the boat from Sky, it is very close to one of the spots where you might alight on the mainland. So it would be a yeah. symbol of kind of the gateway to the mainland or from the mainland. It's seeing the city sign as you're entering the city that you work in, basically. And you would see it from the boat. Yeah. So it would be the wink of seduction where, where you know, that feeling of, oh, I don't want to go to town. I don't want to go to the mainland. I don't want to go to London. And then you start to see the signs and you're like, Okay, maybe. Maybe it'll be okay. That check sounds sweeter and sweeter. (laughs) Yeah, right. Reminds me a little bit, going way back to going back to the family. Oh, a little bit. That contradiction. It's the opposite direction, though. He's already in the city in Back to the Family. He wants to get out where the phone won't ring and bother him. And in Back to the Family, he hates both places, whereas right, here there's exactly. a clear, I prefer my tranquil life and I go to the city by necessity. And there is that allure, that seduction, a little bit. So then we move into the the expanded chorus, island in the city, cut by a cold sea, people moving on an ocean, groundswell of humanity, storm lashed on the high rise, their words a spray to the wind, blown like silent laughter falling on ears of tin. Storm lashed on the So here's where that phrase starts to get really interesting, because I feel like there are two possible readings of it, and both mm-hmm. of them are probably wrong. Okay, I've got one. What do, you, what do you got? So one is that he, the Rock Island, is creating this work as a musician, mm-hmm. that his uniqueness that he has brought to this city is falling on ears of tin. He, is, he feels that he is performing on some level, whatever his job is. He's performing for people who don't get it, who don't appreciate mm. it. It makes me think of the, the critics. 
or the people who say, oh, you know, this is an old rock band. Oh, really? Are they still touring? Yeah. You know, now we're starting to get into the age. We're in the, we're almost in the nineties where I think Tull is probably having to, to fight for relevance a little bit. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 There were a lot of changes that led up to this point. And I mean, yeah, I mean, every band as they progress through the ages and their sound evolves and their band members evolve, they, they lose people, they gain people. And every prog rock band, anyone doing something more complicated than three chords is going to have people who are like, oh, it's too complicated. I don't get it. Yeah. So that, I feel like there's that. The other side of it, because of the way that it's written, it makes me feel like all of the words and all of the laughter of the populace of the human ocean is falling on his ears of tin. Yeah. There's this whole kind of human, everyone's getting it, everyone is like in on the joke, and he is listening to it through a glass that he can't understand it. It's not registering for him. Is that what your interpretation was? I took it as he has the ears of tin. Which is such an interesting thing to say about yourself if your job is to make music. Right. But I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be tone deaf. You know, I think it's in this sense, I, I take it more as falling on deaf ears. Right. Or the side of the tin ear being someone, something that you don't have the natural ability for. Or you can't, Socialization. Yeah. Whether it's socialization or you're going to a job that you're really kind of crap at, but you have to, you have to do it for financial reasons. It reminds me of both A Small Cigar and Lost in Crowds. Mm, okay. I got lost. I got lost. I got lost in crowd. That's a very good album. At sorry parties where among the rich and the famous I'm stuck for words, or worse, I blather with the best of them. At starry, at starry, at starry parties where amongst the rich and the famous I'm stuck for words, or worse, I blather with the best of them. That's that sense of there's this thing that I don't really get and I have to participate in it. Right. I don't get it. And I, by virtue of my career, I belong here, quote unquote, but I clearly don't belong here. You know, if I weren't a rock star, I wouldn't be here. Right. And the choices are ignore it and feel left out or participate in it and hate myself. <laughs> right. And then write a song about it. And then write a song about it. Yeah. So then we move on to take my heart and take my brawn, take by stealth or take by storm. Set my brain to cruise. Take my heart and take my brawn, take by stealth or take by storm, set my brain to cruise. A lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah. Take my heart and take my brawn makes me feel like this is this is a working man. This is not Ian per se. This is a guy going to do physical labor. This is a blue collar song, which we've seen mm. plenty of. We've seen plenty of blue collar songs from Tall. Yeah, certainly. Take my heart, take my brawn. Take my love, take my land, take me where I can. Wow. The uh, fi Firefly theme song. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Serenity? Sure. Firefly was the show. Serenity was the movie. The film, yes. Oh, great. A nice deep cut. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. 
Set my brain to cruise. I love that phrase. It kind of is like, I don't like to be aware of this process, and so I'm going to yeah. put myself in automatic. Right, yeah. Who doesn't relate to that? Right. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many people on public transportation do you see with headphones on? Or at work when you're bullshitting with your... Oh, yeah. You know, with your work buddies. Autopilot. You don't have to be there for that. You could set that and forget it. I can see the glow of suburb lights. I'm fresh from the outworld singing the mainland blues. I can see the glow of suburb lights. I'm fresh from the outworld singing the mainland blues. Oh, the mainland blues. Hi, so I'm trying to find out if outworld is a phrase. Every time I look it up, it takes me to the Mortal Kombat <laughs> reference. And I don't think that's what... I mean, he was playing, he was an early adopter. He was big into Mortal Kombat in 1989. He was a playable character in Out. He was. <laughs> Finish him. <laughs> Fruit in him. Uh, uh. While you looked that up one more time, we were talking about like the autopilot of like shooting the shit with coworkers. Yeah. We were watching the live action Little Mermaid remake oh, the other day. Okay. And Aquafina plays Scuttle, the seagull. Well, she's not a seagull in that one. She's a seabird. There's a new song where she sings, I don't know what the name is, but she sings about the scuttlebutt, like the, the rumors, the talk. And I looked up the etymology of scuttlebutt. And it's basically pirates shooting the shit around the water cooler. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. The butt is the keg, the water yeah, keg. Sure. And the scuttle is the groove cut out of it that re you rest the ladle in. So the scuttle- Oh, so it's when you're- you're all leaning there, you get a drink, yeah. you get a drink, and you're, you, you're talking about wow. Curly Pete over in the corner who smells funny but, but won't take a bath. Or you're bullshitting and saying, you know, about your glorious, oh yeah, before I was on this cruise, oh yeah, I did this. Yeah. yeah it's literally water cooler talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. So I do feel like outworld, outworldly is something that I get a ping on, which means like otherworldly, something that is improbable. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's a term that I'm not finding. I feel like I've heard it before, but I think it's just, I'm fresh from the out world. I'm not a part of this world. I'm yeah. from out there. Yeah, I'm on the outside. Singing the mainland blues because I'm on the mainland. I'm singing the blues. I would much yeah. rather be on the outside. Oh, the mainland blues. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's what I think it is. I think you're, you're looking for more there. I'm thinking too hard about it. Yeah. There was a girl where I came from. Seems like a long, long time ago. There was a girl where I came from. Seems like a long time, long time gone by. Obviously, this is a, a recollection of the Shona character, yep. the Lady Love. And I think it's interesting where it's not like, ooh, I can't wait to get back. It's, oh, I have this distant memory. It's almost like... It reminds me of in Gulliver's Travels, there's some place where he gets kind of, or even, you know, in the Odyssey where oh yeah, a character will get wrapped up in something and, and lose track of time and have this like distant memory of I yeah. something I'm supposed to be doing and oh yeah, there's a girl. Mm -hmm. This is his girl. This is his wife whom he left just this morning, but he goes through such an arduous journey and becomes such a different person just to do that, that it's, 
maybe it's just Theseus's ship. Like how much of him remains when he's over there on the mainland? Well, and that, going back to this concept of the, the Buddhist knot and the rope, mm-hmm. that's a really interesting way of looking at this. When we travel to different environments, you know, we've talked about code switching before. Yeah. Where if you grow up with a patois and then you, for work or for society, have to learn the official language. Right. Is it you in both circumstances? And there are some people who argue, oh, you're being fake in this place because you're speaking differently. Well, no, it's you, but you've slid the knot, (laughs) you know, you're... Right, yeah. It's a continuum of you as an individual. That's why the Buddhist concept of there is no self, there is no identity is particularly helpful. That's why humans have survived is adaptability. Exactly. So then we kind of get the desire to return or the process of returning. There's a coast road that winds to heaven's door where the fat fairy floats on a muted diesel roar. There's a coast road that winds to heaven's door where a fat fairy floats on a muted diesel roar. That's the ferry that takes you back and forth to the island. So we're it's kind of the hero's journey here. Mm-hmm. And then we have a callback to the the reference of the, where is it? So the sun breaks through the rain and it's a wink of seduction through the peaks of the five mountains. That's going to, now coming from, returning, we also have there's a light on the hillside and there's a flame in her eyes. Yes. How the cold lights burn on the mainland. There's a light on the hillside and there's a flame. So there's the warmth, there's the flame, there's the light in the house, in the woods, in the valley. And now, having come from that mainland, he can compare the two now. And boy, wow, it was really cold, unforgiving, harsh, fluorescent light over there. And, And it's warmer and more appealing and embracing and accepting here. Yeah, it's almost like when you're in it, you get hypnotized to feel like, ooh, this is good. This is what I want. Yeah, this is cool. And then you get out of it and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was doing that. Right, you're brainwashed, yeah. You know, that's how a lot of people have described and certainly how my experience has been with living in big cities. When you're doing it, when you're in it, you're like, oh yeah, this is the real stuff, man. This is really cool. Oh, I love New York. And then you get out of it and you're like, God, how? <laughs> why did I put myself through that? You and I must have had this conversation when you were in, insert city name here, four or five times at least. I oh, feel yeah. like we've oh, had yeah. this discussion. Yeah. And it's a theme. I think it's something that people experience. Particularly like if you're from upstate New York, you know, it's like, it's such a big difference. You know, if you're born and raised in the city, I mean, there's some people who will never leave the city. They love it so much. You know, more power to them. And they don't know how to survive outside. Right. There's grocery stores. You just have to drive more than five minutes. <laughs> I drive a half an hour for groceries, Omen. I don't eat groceries. I don't eat. talking about next week. Well, goodness. Ian drops this one into the category comparing it to Kissing Willie, in fact. Oh. We are on Undressed 
to kill. Sounds very interesting, and no doubt is it a, it's about Greco-Roman wrestling. Yes, yep, nude wrestling. They generally didn't fight to kill, but Ian, when he does Greco-Roman wrestling, he, there are no survivors. Yeah, no holds barred. Yeah. Could be about nude bow hunting. True. True. Whenever I talk with hunters, I always say, oh, you guys wear clothes out to hunt? <laughs> uh, who are you, namby-pamby? Wow. I think Hercule did everything nude, I think. Oh, he did everything nude. Everything nude. Except Every for sex. <laughs> Let me put on my sex jacket. <laughs> That's the sequel to Sex Packets, actually. Oh, mm. great reference to the Digital Underground. Uh, you're welcome. So until next week, before the sun breaks through the rain, spot five stars in the sky, please, and drop them into your podcatcher of choice, along with a rave review. And I actually just learned, I think it's universal now, Spotify does have the capability for rating, reviewing, and certain levels of interaction with podcasts. So all of our Spotify listeners get in on that. One star for every one of the five sisters that can tell. You can't wear the West Wind in your hair, but you can wear Talk Told to Me merch, which you can get at our T Public page, which you can find the link for which in our show notes. And I just did an update this morning. Before, for some reason, there was not the option to have the feckless logo on clothing. It is available now. Wow. And T Public now offers a tie-dye shirt. So what? Get in on that. I got myself a feckless tie-dye today. No doubt you did. Yeah. If you've got a job in a southern city and have a long commute with your unleaded tank of gas and you need more pods in your ear to make the commute, why don't you consider subscribing to our Patreon for a mere $5 American a month? You will get access to several other podcasts that we offer one monthly of feckless and one monthly of outtake tell to me. One of which is total nonsense, one of which has interesting content, but you won't know which is which until you subscribe. And it also gets you access to our Discord where you can talk to other like-minded Tullskulls. And by gummy, it is a great community. You don't have to be a rock island. You can build a bridge to other like-minded listeners in our Discord chat. Until next week, I was the girl where you came from. I'm Nick McGill. I'm that fat fairy Omen Thomas said. We are blown like silent laughter, the fatless oh, moms. If only we were. And this is the high rise which has gotten spray all over it. Talk tall to me. Okay, uh, let's see. Mr. McGuggan, you are- Here I am. Back in again. I feel waiting like I in the waiting saw room. you. Come on in, yes. Mr. McGuggan. Let's, let's see what's going on here. So eek, I see that you're reporting eek, a pain eek. in below the knee, a pain below the knee. Yes, doctor. Well, you see, when you put in me titanium kneecap, uh-huh. mm-hmm. it's been wonderful. Okay, great. I break walnuts over it all the time. Right. You did pay extra for that. And, and I frankly, did, I, I think did. it was a worthy investment. I couldn't agree more. But, you know, now me shin is starting to get a, a wee twinge in it. I was wondering if you had a, 
maybe a stainless steel shin bone that I could get uh, installed here. Absolutely. I was a little concerned about the bone holding up beneath the titanium. But I think I think stainless steel is great. It, it's last. It's medical grade. It'll it'll be great. Yes. Now yes. the next concern is, however, we got to talk about your foot. I had an idea about me foot, doctor. Okay. Okay. Tell me. I've always wanted to dance. When I was a wee lad, I went to the house parties and cut a rug, and I looked a damn fool, didn't I? Mm, okay. Okay. I had an idea. It's because my feet me feet are flesh. That could be it, sure. If you'd be so willing as to replace me feet with a silver alloy, I'd be able to dance like the Dickens. I'd be the envy of any of everyone in Killarney. It's not conventional, and you will have to sign a waiver, but I do know a guy. Oh. So I think we can work with this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can feel me toes tapping already. The thing is with this metallic appendage dealer, he does offer bulk discounts. Oh, now you're talking me language. Yeah, if you're looking to get anything else done, I mean, I see I, you've got the cauliflower ear. We could replace it. I was thinking a new ear might mm-hmm. be a mm-hmm. wonderful addition to me collection. Okay, okay. You're the metals expert. Correct. I have a list of metals. I am both a doctor and a metallurgist, yes. That's why I come to Metallurgy Plus. It's not covered by me insurance, but it's worth it. Everything's out of pocket, yeah. Brass. Brass. A brass ear. Oh, you want the ear to be brass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's good. I think that's good. It's it's nice. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. It'll catch the light. It catches the light. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Now, my buddy from down at the pub, mm-hmm. he goes by the name of, of Lead Ribcage Danny. Yes. Yes. I think he, I think, I can't. Can't really tell you anything because of doctor patient HIPAA going on here, but he's unwell. Terribly, terribly unwell. Yes. I warned him. I mean, yes. Theoretically, his doctor would have warned him about putting lead in his body. I do like the idea. I was wondering what about aluminium? Uh, for ribcage? Yeah. Lightweight, very structurally sound. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I'd like as well a polonium kidney. Okay. Yep, you may glow in the dark, but, you know, that's fine. That's fine. It's on the inside, so you'll be okay. And I have a whole list, actually. May, may I run through it? Yeah, please, give him. Give me the rundown. Let's see. I, I wrote it out as if I was writing to, to Santa Claus. I'd like a palladium nostril. Yes. I'd like a lithium toenail. Okay, okay, yeah. I'd like a sodium eyeball. That sounds painful, but we can do it. We can do it. And a strontium neckbone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Magnesium eyebrow. Mm-hmm. A copper weenus. Yes. And a golden ear canal. And do you know why I want a golden ear canal, doctor? Why is that? Why would you want a golden ear canal? Because every time I'm in your waiting room, which has been a long period of time in the last 10 years. That's true. You spent a lot of time in there. I listen to Talk Told Me. Oh. Which your your receptioner plays. And the, the only way it can sound good is through a golden ear canal? Something's got to improve how it sounds. That's my last-ditch effort. You know they're a proud member of the Feckless Homes Audio Network. You know what? That's the discount code. If you buy all of that, if you use that discount code, I can throw in a mercury rectum for free. Where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> the 